All right, so this morning we're going to be continuing our series on the book of Jonah. All right, after today we've got just two talks left on this book. All right, so we're coming towards the end of the story of Jonah. And this series has been great for allowing us to put ourselves in the story, hasn't it? To put ourselves in Jonah's shoes. And I hope you found it helpful and seen that actually there's a number of lessons in, in this story which are relevant to us as individuals, but also to us as a church as well. So I hope you've enjoyed Jonah so far. We're not quite done, but we're towards the end of it now. This morning we're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 3. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to start turning to that now. And obviously last week we heard Simon speaking about Jonah's time in the belly of the fish. And does anyone remember the golden advice that Simon gave us? Don't get distracted by the fish. Okay? Don't get distracted by the fish. Don't be looking at that fish behind me. So we reached a point in the story now where Jonah is spat back out by the fish onto dry land. So here he is on dry land, but has he learned his lesson? Let's have a look and see in Jonah chapter 3, starting from verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. So, this morning's talk, all right, is called Go to the City. Okay, which is pretty fitting given all the stuff that's been happening in the last couple of weeks in terms of Serve Teesside. Hope you enjoyed the video there. It's been amazing to see the churches across this area going out and um, showing God's love to this place. Literally going out and serving our community. And today I want to look at this passage and see what we can learn about being a going people. All right, what can we learn about being a people who are on the move? So later on in the talk, we're going to be looking at why we should go to the city and what that looks like. And we're also going to be looking practically about how we can go to the city and how we can be a going people. But before we get into any of that, it's important to address um, Jonah's second chance within this story. Okay, What can we learn from that? How does this second chance given to Jonah and us, if we put ourselves in this story, teach us about the mission to go into the city? What can we learn from this second chance? You see, what I absolutely love about the start of this passage is that we see the word of God going to Jonah again, very simply, exactly as it did before. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. Or, as it's amazingly put in the message version of the Bible, it says, up on your feet and get on your way to the big city of Nineveh. See, we learn something amazing about God from this very simple call to Jonah. See, notice that in calling Jonah for a second time, God makes absolutely no reference to Jonah's previous failure. Uh, He doesn't say, right Jonah, have you learnt your lesson? Like, say sorry and we'll move on. Like, I do it as a dad all the time, alright? So, Eden will do something naughty which she does on a daily basis, alright? And I sit her out. And she'll be crying. And when she finishes crying, when she calms down, I say, right, 
say sorry to daddy, and then I explain what she's done wrong. So she understands. God doesn't do any of that. God doesn't say, right, Jonah, say sorry. No, he literally just repeats his call to Jonah exactly as it was. And that's significant. See, as people, we can look at this story and we can say, like, Jonah's a complete idiot. Like, he's messed up big style. But God is gracious and has spared his life. So we can get our head around that. That's, that's pretty easy to understand. We know God, we know God's gracious. We can get our head around that. But our tendency then is to say, well, Jonah's been spat back onto dry land. He's still got his life. He's been delivered. He can be thankful uh, to God for that. But surely he's disqualified now. Like, surely God can't use him now. God can't possibly use this guy who tried to run away from him. That could be how we tend to think when we read this story. But what do we see within this story? We see the exact opposite of that. Like, there's a humility from God here. There's a simple calling to Jonah again. There's no warning of what God will do if he ignores him again. Nothing like that. Just a simple calling. Like, Jonah had messed up big style. He'd made a complete fool of himself and he'd been down to the depths of despair in the belly of the fish. But what does he see when he comes back up? He sees a loving father who simply repeats his calling. Like, how good is that? So the world may well have written Jonah off at this point, but God certainly had not. God hadn't written him off. Jonah may well have disqualified himself, and by our standards, we might have disqualified him again. But he's met by a gracious God who didn't abandon him, but brought him back into his very plans and purposes. How good is that? It reminds me of the story of the prodigal son which Jesus um, talks about in Luke 15. You all probably know the story. The son goes away, he turns his back on his dad, does his own thing, then messes up big style and comes crawling back. But when he gets back to his dad, he isn't greeted with a rebuke or with a, well, haven't you learnt your lesson? But he's, gre- he's greeted with love. He's greeted with a party. Like, this is our God. I hope you recognise God in that way. See, we see it loads of times in Scripture. God calling people, those people messing up, refusing to follow his plans, but then God restoring them amazingly. It's just what God does. Like, remember Abraham in the Old Testament? God promised him a son, but he couldn't wait, so he got his maid pregnant. Surely that's the end of this guy's relationship with God, right? Not 12 years later, God gives him a son to his wife Sarah. God restores him. Or what about Moses? Moses declared that he was going to set his people free, going to liberate the Israelites, but then he ends up killing an Egyptian and running for his life. Forty years later, God uses him to set the people free. What about David, the great king, the man after God's heart? He sees a a hot girl bathing on top of a building and sleeps with her and pretty much has a husband single-handedly killed. But God still uses him. Like again and again and again in the Bible, we see God restoring people. We see God calling people back into his purpose, even after they disqualify themselves. This is good news, isn't it? Like, let me give you one more. What about Peter? We looked at him when I preached from the book of John a few months back. Peter literally denied knowing Jesus three times in a row. But he ended up being restored by Jesus and then preaching the single most amazing sermon in the whole Bible. It's 3,000 people of Christ. 
You've seen the picture here. We have a God of second chances. God doesn't give up on us, but God restores us. What an encouragement. Do you know what? I heard this amazing story recently about Thomas Edison, uh, the guy, famous inventor, who came up with the light bulb, amongst other things. And the story goes that when Thomas Edison was developing the light bulb, it took like hundreds of hours to manufacture one single bulb. All right? And one day, after finishing making his light bulb, he handed it to like um, a, a helper boy within his team, a young guy. All right? And as this young guy turns with the light bulb, he trips and smashes the light bulb all over the floor. So imagine there's glass everywhere. This thing that they've worked on for days and days and days is just completely shattered. And what we see is instead of going mad at the boy, instead of rebuking him and going crazy, Thomas Edison simply turned to his staff and said calmly, all right, we better start working on another light bulb. And when the light bulb was completed, the second light bulb, days later, Edison walked up to the same young boy and handed him a light bulb and said, take it upstairs for me. Like, imagine how that boy must have felt. Like, he knew he didn't deserve to be trusted with the light bulb after he smashed it last time, but he was given that responsibility again. He was offered a second chance, as though nothing had ever happened. Thomas Edison's gracious action restored this boy to the team quickly, calmly and fully. And that's what God wants to do for us. He wants to restore us to his service, to his team, clearly and fully. Like, let's make this personal, all right? You may be hearing this call from God to go to the city, to go and make disciples in this nation, but you feel you've disqualified yourself. Like, God can't use me. Like, do you know what I've done? Like, do you know the type of person I am? Do you know the thoughts I have? Do you know the actions I did? Do you know what I did last night? Like, do you know the type of person I am? And you may well be feeling like that. You may well have messed up big style just like Jonah did. But God restores. Don't disqualify yourself. We heard that this morning from Jill. We see that God is a God of second chances. He's the God of restoration. But he's also persistent. Did you notice that God's call to Jonah didn't change? Jonah did. Yeah, God's call to Jonah didn't change, but Jonah did. God's calling on his life remained the same. It remained as unreasonable as ever. Go to the crazy, savage people of Nineveh. Go to this great powerhouse of a city and tell them that they need to repent. Like after Jonah spat his dummy out and tried to run away from God, um, God didn't come to some mutually agreeable calling which suited both sides. No, he moved Jonah within himself to a point where he was ready to respond to the original call. This is how God is. If God puts a calling on your life, he'll equip you for that. He'll mature you for that. Despite your failures, even when you mess up, the calling remains the same. You know, I think about my own life. I remember um, it was prophesied over me a long time ago when I was first a Christian. God's got great plans for you. God's going to use you for amazing things. God's got a calling on your life. And in my early days of being a Christian, I would like mess up loads of times. I would be stubborn. I would spit my own dummy out sometimes. I would try and do things my own way. But the calling remained the same. The calling on my life remained the same. The calling didn't change what my character had to change. Maybe God's called you to something. 
Maybe God's put a calling on your life. It just seems impossible. Have faith that God will grow and mature you into that calling. That's how he works. Don't give up. Don't disqualify yourself. You've got a God of second chances. So we see the calling remain the same on Jonah's life. He was called to go to the city, just like we are today. I just want to look at what it means to go to the city. What it means in our context to go to the city as well. See, the call for Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh, to leave his place of comfort and go, that was like unprecedented in the Old Testament. And that was out of the ordinary. That was shocking. All right. But for us as the church living after Jesus, it's the call given to all of us. Jesus talks about it in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, um, we're called to go. So we may not all be called to be preachers or prophets or long-term missionaries in faraway places, but we're all called to go, all of us. And to go just means to leave our safety and security in order to share the good news of Jesus. That's what it means to go. It doesn't always mean leaving physical locations, but it always means risk and responsibility. It's a calling given to all of us. And hey, we're all called to go, and unless you've got a specific calling on your life to go to a certain nation or a certain people group, then we start with the city that we're in. When Jesus is talking to the disciples at the start of the book of Acts, he tells them that they'll be his witnesses first in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. Like it starts local and then goes out. It started where they were. Jubilee, we have a calling to go into our city. We've got a calling to go into Teesside. We've got a calling to go into this place and bring God's good news to it. We've got a calling to go and bring hope to Teesside. What an amazing calling that is. Like we couldn't have been placed anywhere better really because who needs God's hope more than the people of Teesside, eh? And I think to recognise our calling to the city we first need to recognise our identity as citizens. All right, let me just tell you what that means. See, as Christians, we aren't really actually primarily citizens of Teesside. You may be sad or happy to know that. All right, Teesside isn't really our home. Book of Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it says that we're citizens of heaven. Like, first and foremost, that's our identity. Like, we're citizens of heaven. If we had a passport, it would be stamped citizen of heaven. All right? What does that mean? Well, to use a biblical term, we're exiles. We don't really belong in Teesides. We aren't primarily citizens of this place. But in the Bible, God clearly calls us as exiles to go to places and seek the common good of that place. What does that mean for us? Well, it doesn't mean that we're called to come into Teesside and look exactly like it to disguise ourselves like everyone else so that we can spread God's word that way. Like, we don't go undercover in a side. All right, that wouldn't work, all right? We also aren't called to avoid mixing with the city at all in case we're contaminated by it. Like, oh no, that man's coming out of a pub, we can't speak to him. That, that, that guy's a drug addict, I better stay away from him. Oh no, those people aren't actually football fans, we can't speak to them. No, no, we aren't called to avoid mixing either. We're called to be in the city, in the day-to-day, shining examples of God's love. That's right, isn't it? 
listen to this. This is a message given to God's people in the book of Jeremiah. He tells them to go into the city where they're exiles. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also, this is important, seek peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you in exile. Does that make sense? We belong to heaven. We stand out. We look a little bit different. But that doesn't mean we avoid going into the city. No, it means that we go into the city with love and we seek peace and prosperity. And that's exactly what the church in Teesside has been doing through the Serve Teesside stuff. Showing the people of Teesside that Christians care. That is our calling, to go out and show people and make a difference in this place. The thing to remember though, alright, this is really important, is that we have got good news to bring. We've got good news to bring. We don't just go into the city and do a whole load of nice things for the sake of it. No, we do it to show people that God loves them. There's such a fine balance here. See, we want to reach the city for Jesus. We want to see um, Teesside changed for Jesus. But we need to take a different approach to the one which Jonah took in Nineveh. Because at the end of that passage I read this morning, we see that Jonah's message was very simple. Repent of your ways or God will destroy your city. Simple as that. Like, John didn't need to go out and paint fences or pick up litter. He didn't need to go out and show love to people and do good things. His message was simple. Turn away from your terrible ways or God is going to destroy you. You're going to be in big trouble. Now, if we took that tactic in Middlesbrough, I can assure you that the results would not be pretty. <laughs> people have tried it. I've seen it. I've seen it with my own eyes. You've all seen it with your own eyes. You've all been out. I see the guy walk past me once and say, repent, the kingdom of God is here. I was like, yes, sir. <laughs> I don't know what it meant, but I felt like he was in my face. Um, that, <laughs> that isn't how God calls us to go into the city now. I'm sure you all agree on that. The problem is that we can be tempted to go too far the other way. We can be like, oh, well, let's do a whole load of good things and never mention Jesus because that might offend people. I've heard Christians use this ridiculous, famous quote from St. Francis of Assisi that he didn't actually say, by the way. Preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. Shut up! That means nothing! All right? Don't preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. Don't do that. All right? If you're living by that motto, stop it. All right? No, no, no. Sorry. I've been waiting a long time to get that one out. (laughs) Why? Preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. That doesn't mean anything. See, if we follow that... We end up going out and doing a whole lot of nice things without anyone actually knowing Jesus. Without leading anyone to know him. Pointless. Look, I'm being purposely provocative, provocative here. Don't hate me. All right, if you're really mad, come and speak to me at the end. All right. What am I saying? I'm saying there needs to be a balance. We need to love our cities. We need to stand out in our cities. We need to do good in our city. But we also need to give people the opportunity to know Jesus. That is vital. People need to turn away from their old life and realise that there's something even more amazing to love, uh, to live for. That's why I love the Serve Teesside stuff uh, last week because it was clear that people were out there loving the city. Uh, there's a, uh, there a whole group of people out there serving the city. But there was also a whole load of unapologetic signs that clearly said Jesus loves Teesside. 
And I'm sure that everyone who saw the guys out there serving knew why they were serving the city. Because we want to see this place transformed by Jesus. We want to see lives um, renewed by him. Look, our motive is the same as Jonah's, or what Jonah should have been. We want to see people turn to God, but our method is just slightly different. But my challenge for you this morning is never forget that motive. Like, we want to see the world reached with the good news of Jesus. Like, we have the answer. Like, we have everything that people need. We've got a remedy to fix people's lives. We've got Jesus. We've got everything we need. Like, the famous theologian Natasha Bedingfield says it. We've got a pocket full of sunshine that we want to take out there and show people. We have got the good news. So we want to take that to people and show them it. Like, if you're not excited to share the good news about Jesus, I would challenge you and say you don't really understand that good news. You've got the answer that people need. You've got everything that people need. So go out there and show people it. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. We want people to know Jesus. Yes, of course, we want people to make their own decisions. I get that. We want people to reason with the gospel themselves and and, and make their own decision on it. But we need to tell them about Jesus. The reason we're called into the city is to lead people and know Christ. Simple as that. Now, I'm going to finish in a second, but I just want to get practical first. All right? It's always good to get practical. Um, we've looked at what it means to go to the city and why we do it. I just want to encourage you really quickly by looking at how we can physically reach the city. I've got four really quick things to look at. All right? See, the Bible gives us a few clear roles that we have as Christians in terms of reaching the city. And if we can understand our roles, then they can tell us everything we need to know about reaching the city. Okay? Get your notepads out. All right. First one, 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are Christ's ambassadors. This means that we represent Christ in the city. Now, this is a really good one because if we want to represent Jesus accurately, then we need to know Jesus well, don't we? Like, what was Jesus like? Well, we know that he showed love, compassion, and grace. He stood up for justice. He preached about peace. He was well-liked. He made people laugh. He performed miracles. This is what we need to do. We need to model Christ to the people in our city. We need to look at what Jesus was like, and then when we're going about in our day-to-day, we need to live and model him. Show love to others. Care about others. Live lives that help us to stand out and make people question why we're living in that way. That's what we have to do as Christians. People have to look at us and think, there's something weird about you. What is it? And what is it? It's Jesus. Because it's, counter- it's countercultural, isn't it? If we live as Christians, we're living in a different way than everyone else. That's our first one. Our second one is this one from Mark 4, verses 4 to 8. We're called to be sowers. Or farmers. What does this mean? Well, it means planting seeds for later. This is where doing good things to others comes into it. We want to leave people feeling positive about Christianity, even if we don't lead them to Christ. All right, take Serve Teesside last week, for example. I'm not sure if anyone became a Christian that morning. All right, I'm not sure. They may well have done, but I, I'm not sure. What I am absolutely sure of, though, is that these guys were left with a positive experience about the church and about Christians. They know that the church cares about their community. They know that the church cares about them. That's planting seeds right there. In years to come, those seeds might produce fruit. 
this is important for us. See, in our schools, colleges and workplaces, with the people that we're around, we want to be planting seeds. We want to be leaving people feeling positive about Christians. Starting off those conversations which will one day lead to salvation. That's our second role. Another role is this one comes from Matthew 5. We are called to be salt and light. See, both salt and light affect things around them, don't they? Salt preserves things and gives them flavour. Light makes a massive difference in dark places. We're called to affect the world around us and influence people in different ways. And what we see in, uh, in Matthew 5 is that Jesus is talking about being salt and light, and, and that shining our light before others is about glorifying God. That's the reason we go out and be salt and light. People should look at the things we do and be pointed back to God. There are loads of ways that we can be salt and light in the world. For some, it'll be through positions of power and influence in politics and healthcare and media. For others, it's going to be in the day-to-day, at the school gates, at the parents and toddler classes, at the job centre. We're called to be salt and light in different places. Finally, this is the final role. This is my favourite one. All right, Jesus in Mark 1 calls us to be fishermen, or specifically fishers of men. One of our roles is to go out and catch other people up in what Jesus is doing, to make new believers. This is the one we sometimes forget. See, all the roles I've talked about, um, they can result in people coming to know Jesus, but this one specifically is important because we need to be looking at opportunities to lead people and know Christ. Sometimes forget about this one. We need to help people make that step, that final decision. And we can all do it, you know. Like every Christian can lead another person to know Christ. Like you don't just have to leave it to the preachers or, you know, the community group leaders or, you know, the elders to lead people to Christ. We can all pray for someone. We can all help someone make that decision to know Jesus. I want to end, in fact, I'm going to end, the band can come up, then you know it's the end, alright, so the band could come up, that'd be great. I want to end really quickly with three things that I think we can all do in order to lead people and know Jesus. Three things, very simple things that we can all do. The first one we need to do is, we all need to know how to to share our story. So we all have a, a story to share what God's done in our lives, don't we? Like, what led you to come to know Jesus? What was your life like before you knew Jesus? And what's it like now you're a Christian? We've all got a story. We just need to know how to tell it. Like, short and simple. People say to me, oh, I don't have a story. My story's boring. Yes, you do have a story. You know Jesus. That's exciting enough. We all need to know how to share our story. And, like, we need to practice that as well. It's important to practice sharing your story. Get in front of the mirror, practice sharing your story. Like you should be able to do it in a couple of minutes. We need to be able to share our story. The second thing we need to do is we need to be able to tell his story. Tell our story, tell his story. We need to uh, talk about Jesus, why he came, why he died and rose again. Like Similar to our story, it needs to be uh, short and snappy and simple for people to understand. We need to know how to tell his story. Maybe this week you might want to practice that in your community groups. How can you tell Jesus' story in a few minutes? How can you do that? So we need to share our story. We need to share his story. The final thing we need to be able to do is actually lead someone to know Christ. This goes without saying, but I'm shocked at the number of Christians who don't know how to lead someone to know Jesus. Don't know how to pray that prayer with someone. Like imagine being a car salesman who didn't know how to sell cars. You could talk it up and then when it came to actually signing the dotted line, you wouldn't be able to do it. Stupid, isn't it? As Christians, we need to be able to lead people to know Christ. 
is simple. It's a prayer. I'm sorry for what I've done. Thank you so much for dying for me. I choose to live for you. We cannot do that. Like, what if you um, told someone your story and his story and they said, yes, I'm ready to become a Christian and you didn't know what to do? So we've got Why Jesus box at the back uh, of the room there. They've got the prayer in the back. Back page has got the prayer of how you can pray for someone to become a Christian. Take one on your way out and practice it. See, I think if we know these three things, if we know our story, his story, and this prayer, if we've got them in front of our minds, we're going to be actively looking for opportunities to share these with people. So imagine you're on your way to work tomorrow, you're sitting at the bus stop, all right, and someone comes over to you who's a friend of yours on Facebook and is like, oh, you're a Christian, aren't you? Like, we need to be able to then share our story, share his story, and hey, maybe even lead them to know Christ. So why don't you, this week, maybe be practicing some of those things, have them in the center of your minds. All right, I'm finished now because my voice isn't holding up much longer, but we're going to end with a time of worship. All right, and as we worship, really simply, I just want you to be asking God um, for different things that you can do as an individual to go into the city. Okay? Be praying for people that you can go and speak to. Is there someone that you feel like God's putting on your heart that you need to go and share his love with? Is there a co-worker? Is there a family member? Is there a neighbor? Is there someone that God's putting on your heart? Why don't you be praying as we worship and, and be praying for an opportunity this week to share God's love with them? Why don't we stand? I'm going to pray for us and then we'll worship. Yeah, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that as we saw at the start of the talk today, Lord, you are a God of second chances. God, you don't disqualify us. God, you don't write us off, God. Lord, you're a God of second chances. I want to thank you so much for that, Lord Jesus. And I just want to pray for each of us today, Lord. If we might have written ourselves off, if we might have disqualified ourselves, God, would you remind us that you don't give up on us, God? In the same way that you didn't give up on Jonah, you don't give up on us, Lord Jesus. And I want to thank you so much that we're called to go into the city. We're called to go out and make disciples, Lord. I pray for each of us, would you help us to remember the reason we do that, Lord? Help us to remember our motivation. It's all for you, Jesus. And finally, Lord, I pray this week, would there be opportunities for us to go into the city and really make a difference in the people's lives? Put people specifically on our hearts this week, Lord Jesus. And I pray for miraculous encounters this week. Lord, as we come back to church next week, would there be story after story after story of people's, who, people's lives being changed because of these encounters, Lord Jesus? Thank you so much for the calling given to all of us, Lord Jesus. Yeah, we choose. We just want to accept that. We want to go out and do it, God. We want to be amazing ambassadors for you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.